Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and this is our Q&A show. Okay, you can't do it all, and chances are 99% you're currently doing too much, or it's just me, hey? But you're stuck, right? Join the crowd. Insanity is doing the same things over and over and hoping for different results, right? Well, in show 663, we talked with Michael Hyatt about his book, Free to Focus. There are three segments in the book, Stop, Cut, Act. And I really honed in on the difficulty of cutting. I mean, stopping to take things into account, chart a course, set goals, and then acting on those things. I think most of us, we do well, or we at least hear a lot of content about those things, right? But we get overwhelmed. So that middle initiative, cutting, realizing that everything we say yes to just adds up to overwhelmingness. If we don't also say no to some things, that's what we really honed in on in the show. Well, I asked these questions to our Ziggler audience. What are some good things in your life daily and weekly that might be getting in the way of great things that you could invest in? If half your responsibilities disappeared, what meaningful work would you spend more time doing? In your career, business, and personal life, what task would you most like to delegate if you could? And then I had Michael Hyatt himself, author, again, of the new book, Free to Focus, which is at the top of the bestseller charts right now. He joined me to talk through your responses. I truly feel you may have a light bulb moment from this show. Okay, friends, again, Michael Hyatt has joined me in this conversation to read through your comments to these questions. What are some good things you do in your life daily and weekly that might be getting in the way of great things you can invest in? Uh, if half responsibilities disappeared, what meaningful work would you spend more time doing? And in your career, business, and personal life, what tasks would you most like to delegate if you could? Uh, folks, as always, I invite you to join these weekly conversations, find and friend me on Facebook at Agent K, as in Kevin Miller. All right, folks, here we go. Well, Michael, in our main talk together, show 663, looking at the three segments of your book, Free to Focus, Stop, Cut, and Act, uh, obviously, I became just personally enamored, focused, in essence, on the issue of cutting. It feels like, you know, stopping, taking things into account, charting a course, setting our goals, and then acting on those we spend a lot of time talking about in personal development on here on The Ziggler Show, and, and I know in your work as well. It was that middle one, though, that I know I don't do well, and I obviously got testimony from others that that's the hard part. We want to do, 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 but we don't count the cost in essence, you know, what do we need to right. cut? And we hear that a lot, but I've just, I think I, I give it lip service and we don't really, uh, put focus on it. Or again, I'll speak first person. I don't, uh, as well. So the questions that I put out there, you know, what are some good things that you do in your life daily and weekly that might be getting in the way of great things that you could invest in? And then I even went further to say, you know, if, if half your, if your responsibilities, if half of them disappeared, what meaningful work would you then spend your time doing in your career life, your business life. So I kind of gave people a couple different, uh, uh, avenues to come through on this and they did. So here, I'll just start right off and throw them to you. Great. Gregory here. He says, if I did not have the things like bookkeeping, bill paying, lawn maintenance, car maintenance, housekeeping for starters, I would spend more time being 
fully present with my family and friends. I'd spend more time developing ideas that continually pop in my head and I'd spend more time on my feet in the woods. Now I'll give you a, a insight on him. I actually know him. He is self-employed. Uh, so he's speaking okay. from that aspect, but I really appreciate that. I mean, he right off the bat throughout relationships, idea development and personal growth as things that he would yeah. invest in. If you didn't have what we generally, I guess, call life, right? Yeah. Well, the question to ask, I think the place to start is why do you have all that stuff? Okay. You know, and maybe the answer to it is, well, I can't afford to pay somebody to do my lawn or car maintenance or whatever else it is. And I, I would say that I think that for most, especially self-employed people or people that are business owners, that's probably not a good rationale because the truth is if you could free yourself up from doing all those things, let's just start with the business, forget the personal stuff for a minute. But if you could free yourself up in the business from doing the things that are, you know, bookkeeping that are sucking the life out of you, then you'd be free to generate more revenue. And if you can bill out at, let's just say, I'm just picking around number a hundred dollars an hour and you could pay a bookkeeper 30 or $35 an hour, which is not too far off, then you're net positive 65 to $70 an hour. So this is where I think a lot of business owners get stuck because they don't through, think through the economics. They think, well, I can just, you know, work more hours and I wouldn't have to hire anybody. But the, my experience as a business owner is, is that every time I've hired somebody, whether it was a contractor or an employee, my income went up because it freed me up to do the things that only I could do and the things that I could bill for, the things that actually generated revenue for my business. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's more than anything, it's a mind mindset shift. Well, and I'm curious on this because it's not the first time I've heard this. I'm going to assume a lot of people out sure. there have heard the same thing. We've got Timothy Ferris with four hour work week, you know, so long ago, what gives it gravity for me in all honesty and an admitted flattery here, Michael, is, you know, I put you in the category like with Seth Godin is your primary voice to influencers out in the populace and for you to come to us with a new book right now hitting on this as a primary piece it's telling me we are not getting it and as i said in the first show you stepped on my toes and you actually laid out because i said why and you said well a big thing especially i don't know if you said you might have said especially for entrepreneurs is one we think gosh in the time it, it would take me to explain that i could just do it myself one and two right. i'll do a better job I, I, I'm again, admitted that I get stuck there. And is that still where you see the, you know, people, well, you mentioned a mind shift change. Is that where we have to go? Yeah, absolutely. Like, let's take those two other objections. So yeah. there's really three objections I hear routinely okay. from entrepreneurs about why they don't delegate and why they, they don't hire somebody else to do some of this work. First one is what I just covered, which is they say, well, I can't afford it. Right. And so I have to do it myself. The second thing I hear people say is, you know, if I want it done right, I have to do it myself. But here's the thing. If that's how you feel, if that's been your experience, it's probably an issue of hiring and hiring people that are really good at the stuff you're not so good at. Okay. You know, if you're good at bookkeeping, great, keep it. But is that the best and highest use of you? Because in my experience, most people that don't like bookkeeping, that's key, that bookkeeping's in the way of them generating more revenue, because it is time consuming, usually they can hire somebody for a whole lot cheaper who would do it a whole lot better because that bookkeeper, that's all they do. They're narrowly focused on that one skill and they've gotten really good at it. Mm -hmm. So I, I think this is also a mindset shift. 
And what I think you've got to do is find people that can do it better than you can do it. So for example, for me, giving up those things, which we talked about in the, in that last episode that were in my drudgery zone, things like my managing my email inbox or managing my calendar or booking my travel. I've got an assistant, Jim, that does that way better than I could ever do it because he loves doing it. I hate doing it. Mm-hmm. The other objection I hear from people, from entrepreneurs, is it takes longer to explain how to do it. I might as well just do it myself. Well, the truth is, it does take longer to explain how to do it on the front end. Uh, But this is part of the problem why entrepreneurs have a bad experience with delegation. They expect their delegates to read their minds. And when they don't read their minds, they get frustrated because it's not up to their standards. They don't meet their expectations. But if you're willing to invest and you develop the mindset that, look, on the front end of anything, these people can't read my mind. I've got to explain it. I've got to be explicit. And I've got to be concrete. And then I may have to fine-tune it a little bit. But, whoa, once I get that off my plate, then I'm completely freed up to pursue something else that, you know, really generates the revenue and moves the needle in, in my business. I want to stick on this aspect of delegating again, because again, my personal experience okay. with me uh, in my own businesses in my own life and with so many, especially entrepreneurs is uh, they don't do that. And, and I will uh, cite back again to, I think what brought this to light for a lot of us was again, Timothy Ferris's, you know, book for our work week. He talked about outsourcing to people on another mm-hmm. continent at, you know, three bucks an hour or whatever. I, I have not often found a relevant, uh, task to do that with. It seems like, and again, this personality style and being an entrepreneur, maybe they both go hand in hand to a degree that I often need things done that I don't have a set plan. Here's how you do it from A to Z. Simply do what I put down here. A lot of times it's, Hey, this is the result I need. I don't know the best way to do it. The way I'm doing it is probably stupid. It's probably inefficient. And I just want the result. So I find myself needing people who have a level of intuition which comes back, I guess, to what you're saying on hiring. This is now a hiring issue of finding somebody relevant yes. for that. Okay. Uh, yeah. T- talk on that, on that. Wait, okay. Is that a common one on, yeah, I need somebody who can create, who could figure out how to do it and get the result that I need as opposed to, Hey, here's just a through Z the list of how to do it. Cause we don't often manufacture that. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, if you were good at this stuff, you probably could keep doing it. Right. But, the, but the truth is there are people out there that can train you. So for example, one of the, the organizations I recommend, and by the way, I tried uh, Timothy Ferris's methodology by hiring somebody internationally. Yep. And that just didn't work for me. Yeah. You know, it was cheap, yes, but it was worthless. So for me, the better solution has been to hire somebody domestically, but in the form of a virtual executive assistant. So the company that I continue to use to this day is Belay, B E. L-A-Y. Okay. And they have about 700 teammates in the U.S. So it's all domestic if you live in the U.S. And I know you have an international audience. But these are people that are highly qualified, highly trained, and they can actually coach you. So they come kind of uh, pre-configured to be able to uh, manage your inbox or manage your calendar or whatever it is that you're trying to offload to. They even do bookkeeping. They do some uh, web development. So you can hire specialists in those specific areas and they're going to pretty much know because that all they're doing is working with entrepreneurs all day long. You can fine tune it and tweak it, but you don't have to know or be an expert at what you're delegating. 
Okay. Well, I, I, so delegating. So obviously a big issue there here. here let me throw out another couple responses here. Barb says okay. right now as a new mom back at work with two major personal and professional projects underway, I feel like my day job is the one good thing, good thing, but that's getting in the way of the great work that I should be investing uh, in for myself. And we had a, a, a rash of people who kind of you know, seconded that, that, yeah, it's my full-time job. So let's go back to that again. So we just kind of hit the aspect of delegating what in our work can we delegate? We know on that, let me, let me throw something out. Then this is something that, uh, is, we know is possible, but it's so rare people who are employees. We talked about entrepreneurs. How about people who are employees who feel like, well, this is my job. I can't do that. And yet we do have, it feels like rare to me and I don't have experience in this cause I've never been an employee, but where even they will hire out and delegate. Uh, so if you'd speak to that, cause it's, that doesn't, that's, that's outside of most people's frame of reference. I'm being paid. So I'm going to take my own money and delegate. That doesn't seem right. So speak to that. But then I also want to get into your other, your third piece of that, which was the automating. What can we automate? I know you're amazing on the tech side and such a curator of things that we can do to increase our efficiency. So it's not all on us. Yeah, I'd say that uh, for somebody that's an employee, they've got to look at the the work that they've been hired to do. And there's probably a significant amount of time that they're spending on work that their boss didn't either realize that they had to do or is just not aware of it. And it's keeping them from doing more of the stuff they were actually hired to do. This is a case where you have to go to your boss and you have to sell them. And this is an art form. I've got a couple of articles on my blog. In fact, a three-part uh, blog post series called how to get your boss to say yes. Mm-hmm. And it basically involves how do you, how do you put in a framework so that your boss will sign off on it? And the way you do that is not to try to convince them to help you because you're overworked, you're burned out, you got too much to do. No, the way to sell it is to say, okay, what's in it for them? Because that's the radio station that everybody listens to mm-hmm. W I I F M what's in it for me. So you've got to show them why they're going to get more of what they want if maybe they get you some part-time help, maybe they get you some full-time help, but it will free you up to do the work that, again, delivers the results in the business that you were probably hired to do. So in in my experience, people often don't have the resources that they need, Mm -hmm. mainly because they don't ask or they don't ask from the right perspective. They're asking, trying to get help or relief from themselves Uh, rather than putting it in terms that make sense to the boss that are in his or her best interest. So that's where I would start if I were an employee. Now, if you're in a sales job or something where you've got variable income and the more you sell, the more you make, then absolutely. If my employer would not provide the kind of administrative assistance that I need to be able to sell more, then I would do the calculus on it and say, hey, you know what? It might be worth my time or might might be worth my money to pay for it myself if I could generate more sales and create more incremental income. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I think it's so unheard of. People are unaware of that. And yet we see people at the top who have done that. Well, speak then also to the, yeah, the automation aspect. What I've yeah. found with myself is there's oftentimes to increase my efficiency without me just doing more through automation. But so often I am literally just unaware. I, I don't know how many times I've been surprised by somebody saying, gosh, you can just do this and this and this. Whether it's a shortcut, a hack, call it what you want. I just, I did not know. Yeah. Well, it's amazing what technology can do. And sort of kind of as a general foundation here, let me say this. 
you don't want to delegate or ask a human to do something that could be automated and you don't want to automate something that should be eliminated. So the reason those appear in my book in the specific order they do is because there's a logical flow. First, eliminate. Then once you've got everything, uh, you know, take it off the plate that can be eliminated, then automate what you can. And what you can't automate, then you're basically saying, okay, a human's got to do this, but it doesn't have to be me. It could be another human and that's delegation. And then finally, in the third part of the book, we talk about, okay, how do you, with those tasks that are left, actually deploy them and uh, deal with them in the most efficient way possible? But automation, as you mentioned, Kevin, is a huge untapped potential for most people. Let me give an example. How how many emails would you say you get a day on average? A day? 50. Okay, 50. So my guess is, correct me if I'm wrong, that's uh, that's a mix of everything from things that are really urgent that you need to see all the way down to things that are just newsletters that you subscribe to that you haven't, you don't read anymore, but you haven't taken the time to, to get off the list. Is that fair? Yeah, I try to, de- I do try to automate just through Gmail to where the newsletters and whatever go to a different spot, but between the different businesses, ones that somebody's asking, and I feel like, oh my goodness, I need to answer that. I'm now admission. I'm working on that, on having uh, some, I've delegated where people go through my email, get rid of the stuff, only right. leave me what only I can address, but yeah. Okay. So, so that's a big move for a lot of people is to delegate the management of their inbox. And that's a really hard thing to give up because people like a lot of control. And I'm going to tell you, here's another reason people don't like to give it up because it gives them the illusion that they're doing work, mm. right? Yeah. So it, it's kind of, it's what I call fake work, but it makes you feel like, you know, you've got something you can check off at the end of the day, but it keeps you for the more important things. Nobody's paying you to process email. You know, yes, occasionally there's going to be something in there that's related to a transaction or something that generates uh, income po- for you. But a lot of it's just a lot of processing and fake work. So that's one of the first things that I, I delegate. But here's an automation trick for a lot of people that are not doing what you're doing. And that is there's an application called SaneBox, S-A-N-E, SaneBox. And what it does is it basically automates email rules. Now, for as long as I can remember, you've been able to go into your email client, whether that's Outlook or Apple Mail or what have you, and create email rules. So you say, whenever I get a newsletter from you know, Jeff Walker, that goes into my newsletter folder. And I'll read that when I get time, right? right? But that's pretty techy. And to expect somebody to set up an email rule, a lot of people's eyes glaze over just as I mentioned that. Yeah, yes, my what idea. Sanebox, what SaneBox allows you to do is simply drag that email from Jeff into your newsletter folder. And from that point forward, SaneBox remembers where you put it. Or last night I bought something from Apple and I got a receipt from them. And so because I use SaneBox, it drug it into my receipts folder. So everything is collected in the same place always. So that filters out all the extraneous email so that I can focus on the stuff that's really important. So that's just one automation tip. Another one, I can't remember if we talked about this last last week when we were uh, talking or not, but one of the, the one of the uh, best ways to deal with email is to use email templates. And so when I first started doing this, what I did was I started keeping an index or a catalog of the types of requests that I typically get. Okay. So for example, I might get a request because I used to be in the book publishing world. Uh, a request to review somebody's book proposal right. or a request to meet with me for copy, coffee or, you know, a request to serve on a nonprofit board. So I simply catalog those. And then as they came in, I asked myself this question, 
is it likely that I'll face a similar request at some point in the future? Right. If the answer to that was yes, then I would write a thoughtful reply using that formula I give in the book, uh, I believe it's in chapter four, the yes, no, yes formula. And I would save that, and this is the important part, save that template as an email signature. So now in the future, whenever I get a request like that, all I have to do is grab that signature and it pops in that boilerplate text. If you want to get fancy, you could use an application like Text Expander, mm -hmm. which works on Windows and Apple. But your email signature function will serve just as well. SaneBox, I will check out as soon as we are done. That sounds ingenious. The email templates, uh, I have done that in some areas, especially with interview requests. That's what I get inundated with. So yes. I have, I wrote it out. And now I have my assistant who sends that out. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about my kids right now. If I could do a, uh, a smart email of, if they're asking for this, it just replies back, ask your mother. <laughs> <laughs> if it's for me, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll have to work on it. I, we, we could make some money with that one. Uh, oh man. Family oriented email templates. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. All right. Well, here's one, and I want to get to eliminate as well, but I'm going to reach in with this one. Uh, Mary McGuire, she says, I'm not sure if this would qualify uh, as good, but I do a lot of research as a writer. However, research can sometimes pull me into various rabbit holes. Time can fly by fast when I'm locked into research mode. Meanwhile, I have a book I need to edit. I need to find a way to discipline myself when it comes to research. I, I use that just to bring out the very necessary tactile aspect of setting our daily priorities, our own time management, and some self-discipline. Uh, because I resonated with hers when I get into a place which is a beautiful place to be where I am creating, and which for me is generally writing. I am writing and I'm getting ideas down. I can lose track of time. My best friend in that scenario is Google Calendar on my phone or my desktop. And I had to use the little app, or I'm not sure which, what it's called, where it actually comes up and interrupts it. It's not enough that it, you know, it dings my mm. email, but I need to come up on my desktop and remind me that, Hey, I've got a phone call now. Cause I'll, I'll breeze by it otherwise, but just some of those, I mean, I, you know, again, that's some techie stuff, but also just the reality of what do I need to accomplish today? It's just, again, some of that basic yeah. priorities, time management, self-discipline. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the things I recommend in the book is on a daily basis, identify, start by identifying your daily big three. In other words, of all the tasks you have that you could do, what are the 20%, and usually that's about three, what are the 20% that are going to really create 80% of the results? So have a plan. Second thing I would do is time blocking. In other words, schedule what you need to do on your calendar, just as you were talking about, so that you're going to allocate a certain amount of time for research, and then you're going to allocate a certain amount of time for writing. Jason Fried calls this time in the alone zone, but in my experience, what gets scheduled is what gets done. Now, a third layer to this, if you really are having trouble with the discipline aspect of it, and if you need kind of training wheels to discipline yourself, to focus on the writing or the creating, use an app called Freedom, and you can find it at freedom.to. And what it will do is based on a schedule or based on you just initiating a session, it will block off the apps that you don't want to have access to when you're trying to write or create and the websites. So literally, if you try to go to those websites, 
like Facebook, for example, or Twitter or something that is keeping you from doing the creative work or even research. It will bounce you right back to the application that you were using before you tried. And the only way to defeat freedom is to completely reboot your system. So it's just enough friction that you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm supposed to be writing. So you're not tempted to go out there and get that little dopamine hit Uh that's compulsive and probably unconscious. But it stops that and it takes a few days for you to get acclimated to it. But it's a terrific tool. Fight technology with technology. Well, and I want people to hear that this, folks, is why Michael Hyatt has so many people who subscribe to his blog and his other uh, areas where they can be a part of his audience. I know you've gotten billed over the years to a degree as a curator. You are so on top of things like this that you're a wealth of knowledge. And I know that that's what first got me reading your blogs and paying attention to what you're putting out there because you do help me be aware of so much that I would otherwise not be aware of. Um, On the elimination and uh, Carrie here was next and she talked about social media. And so I wanted to pull that out on really under the umbrella of elimination to some degree. And I know you talked in the last show or in our first show together about the things, the apps you had gotten off of your phone to keep from distracting you. But I want to hit this from a somewhat of a personality profile aspect, even on time management, um, and elimination, both, both things. Uh, one okay. is a guy named Kevin Cruz. I'm a fan of, he wrote a book called 15 yeah. secrets. Uh, successful people know about time management. That one really stopped me in my tracks because it alerted me to my poor time management at the time. Though I'll have to admit, and this does go to what you said just a minute ago, that he talked about people who are highly effective, effective and efficient, they budget kind of like Dave Ramsey budget every dollar. They budget mm-hmm. every minute and 15 minutes here, 20 minutes here. That was difficult for me. Maybe again, cause of my personality style, but a semblance of that for me is I will dedicate an entire morning or an entire day and say, I am going to focus on this project until it is done and I'm going to ignore everything else. So let everybody know I'm just not going to respond. And to that, I mean, again, are we, cause I think people are often, as you know, they're looking for what is the best thing, Michael, what should I do? And instead of yeah, having, well, go ahead. Yeah. So for me, I'm kind of in the, in the same boat. Sorry. My phone was, yeah, yeah. it's candid. Um, <laughs> yeah. So what I, what I try to do is first of all, I'm like you, I cannot schedule every minute. I wouldn't schedule every minute, even if my personality type were different yeah. because I want the freedom for spontaneity and yes. I want the freedom to do nothing. And yes. I want some white space in my life. Yes. But having said that, what I do is make use of something I call a workday startup and a workday shutdown ritual. So those two rituals are times when I, I want to sort of consolidate and aggregate that kind of administrative work that needs to be done that if I'm not careful is going to just spill over into the rest of my life and create a lot of fake work. So social media is definitely one of those things that, that can happen there. So in my workday startup ritual, which I do first thing when I get to the office in the morning, I check my inboxes. So I check my email inbox, I check my Slack uh, box, so to speak, my Slack inbox, and then I uh, check my social media accounts. So all of that I allocate 30 minutes in the morning to, and when 30 minutes comes, you know, I'm done. I do the same thing at the end of the day in a workday shutdown ritual. So if you really struggle with this kind of stuff, again, you can use freedom.2 to just shut off those websites during the day so you can't get to them. And of course, as I said, when we recorded Last time, I've taken all the social media apps off my phone, with the exception of Instagram, and there I give myself a 30-minute limit 
and my wife has the passcode so I cannot cheat the system. So you, you gotta, you, you gotta realize, especially with social media, you're totally outgunned. You know, you cannot try to just, you know, up against, go up against these giant multi-billion dollar social media companies who have armies of psychologists who have figured out how to hack your psychology yeah. and basically kidnap your attention. You, you've got to be smart. You've got to be intentional. Otherwise, all you're going to be doing is serving uh, the, the ends of their, their kind of their business plan and their business model, which is to deliver eyeballs to advertisers. You don't want to be the product. Well, so let's, let's end this on the elimination aspect. That seems to be the one, because you talked about, and we, we pulled it out in the first interview together of flexing your no muscle. And I don't know if there's a fair question to throw at you, but when you look at our audience, primarily people who have, you know, good high end jobs, a lot of them are employed by themselves or self-employed to some degree, have their own businesses, have, have uh, some opportunity to make decisions like this, but where are, we talk about social media, it's gotta be a big one, but what are some other key areas where you find that when you audit somebody's life, you could eliminate this, but we just, yeah. I don't know. Are we just holding on to it? Either we're unaware or we're just holding on to it. And we're not, again, it's that good thing that's getting in the way of great that we just have to say no to. Where are some highlights for us? Yeah, I think one of the things I would say, Kevin, is to kind of get into the psychology of that. It's why so many people stay stuck in that situation. And I think it's frankly fear. And specifically, you know, it's the fear of missing out. You know, and a lot of entrepreneurs they don't want to miss an opportunity. So they go to, they accept every networking uh, invitation, everything that sounds like an opportunity. And, and obviously at the beginning of a business, you have to do more of that. But for people that are well into their career or well into their business, and they find that they're not able to, you know, keep growing or keep expanding or keep scaling, you know, it's, it's worth asking the question, am I just falling prey to fear of missing out? Another thing that afflicts a lot of us is, fear of disappointing others. So there's FOMO and there's photo. So fear of disappointing others. And this particularly afflicts people like me, who's a recovering people pleaser. Mm -hmm. Well, at the end of the day, you got to ask yourself the question, you're going to disappoint somebody, right? <laughs> I want to make sure that I'm not disappointing the wrong people. I don't want to disappoint my family. I don't want to disappoint myself when it comes to my health or my well-being. I don't want to dis uh, disappoint the people that mean the most to me. So you kind of get to pick who you're going to disappoint, but probably some people are not going to get as much of you as they would like. Then I think there's the, uh, the fear of conflict with others. FOCO, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, the fear that if I say no, that that person is going to be angry with me or frustrated with me. Maybe they'll retaliate in some way. And this happens a lot with, with, uh, with clients where we don't want to say no to that demanding client because we fear that there's going to be some kind of repercussion in our business. I'll tell you something, Kevin, I think in a lot of cases, that is all happening between our ears. It's not an objective reality. In my experience, even with the most demanding clients, when you sit down and have an adult conversation with them, usually they will comply. And if they won't, then you got to ask yourself the question, is this client really worth serving? Because the key to scaling, the key to margin, the key to making a lot of money, frankly, is to find um, highly profitable low maintenance clients know exactly what they look like, what it takes to serve them and get more of those because nothing will drain your organization more than high maintenance 
even high profit clients. Those are the ones that you're never quite sure if it's worth the hassle, but they suck up all the time of you and your organization. So instead of going and finding other highly profitable, low maintenance clients, all of your time and energy is sucked up in these high maintenance clients. So I think doing a segmentation of your client list would be a great place to start. And you might have to fire a few clients or a few customers so you can make room for the ones that really generate the profit and will enable you to scale. As a consummate sales guy, that was one of the hardest lessons I learned there, Michael. And I don't know if I would have, if I didn't end up in a business situation that forced it, we just did not have enough bandwidth. And we had to look at those, uh, in this sense, it was a medical practice to look at those patients who yeah. were just, they had high needs and I felt bad for them, but we just could not do it. We had to cut back. But you know, to what you're talking about on, on missing out, not uh, avoiding conflict, not being conflict averse, those are areas that I don't know. I know I haven't overcome those. I don't know that I ever will, but I at least have gotten smart enough to put it down and say, is this priority? Is this the most important yeah. thing? Is this a good thing that's getting in the way of a great thing? And make that hard decision and trust that I, I won't end up in the next morning and everyone hates me and I'm all alone in, in, in the world, exactly. which of course doesn't happen. And I, and I think one of the ways to do that too, Kevin, is when you're saying no, what's the bigger yes you're saying yes to? Mm. And, and this helps me to put it in perspective. So, for example, if I get an invitation to have breakfast with somebody that's coming into town, I'm, I'm going to say no. And the reason I'm going to say no is because I'm saying yes to my health because I'm going to be at the gym in the morning yeah. and I don't want to supplant that with the breakfast meeting. So I'm saying not only yes to my health, but I'm saying yes to being around when my grandkids, hopefully around when my grandkids get married. I'm going to be around a lot for my kids and for my, for my wife or for your spouse. But that's the way to think of it, I think, is to think of it as what is the bigger yes that gives context to this smaller no. Well, on that note, thank you for saying yes to giving us uh, another bit of your time. I know it will be of high value and well worth it because this is going to speak to people and give a lot of folks freedom and permission to make some decisions to make them more productive, to give them freedom to focus. So thanks again, Michael, for being here and just for sharing your wisdom, guidance and your heart. Absolutely. Thank you, Kevin. Well, I hope this has you thinking, what can you cut, automate, delegate, or eliminate so you can give more focus to the more important things that you can do, whether that's work or rest or a relationship. Again, get Michael's book and really dig into this free to focus wherever you buy books. Coming up next in show 673 is our habits show. Wouldn't we all like to know what is essential and what is frivolous in our lives? Maybe we think we subconsciously know, but I, for one, would be interested in getting it all out on the table. This is our habits show, and our muse today is Johnny Powlard, founder of the top-ranked meditation app, One Giant Mind, used by Michael Hyatt. Uh, he was our guest, Johnny, in show 671, where we discussed how to free ourselves from ourselves. No surprise that a mainstay habit of Johnny's is meditating, but it was his financial spoke where he discussed asking himself what was essential and what was frivolous that stood out to me. I just saw the concept as being relevant to all the spokes in all of life. I also appreciated the guiding light of his career spoke being another question he asked himself, how can I be a best service? And mentally, the mental spoke, another question that he asks, how can I be better? It's really a show of brilliant questions from Johnny.
Till then, thank you as always for walking with me as we inspire our true performance together.